Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Woo! All right. Hey, guys, can we hear it for the band one more time? Very good. Excellent. Excellent. My goodness, I thought this was the week that I was doing Adele, but no, I guess it's a different person. Anyways, let's hear it one more time for this incredible band here. Thank you so much for leading us in worship and some songs here. I want to welcome everyone here. My name is Pastor Tom. Welcome to Madison Square Garden. Uh, no, actually, this is Liquid Church. Welcome to Liquid Church. But let me tell you something, whether you are watching online or you're here live, maybe you're in New Brunswick or uh, live in Nutley, it doesn't matter because today we are absolutely going to continue to rock as we take our cues from an Old Testament prophet named Hosea and the five-time Grammy Award winners, the Foo Fighters, whose hit single, Walk, you just rocked out to. Uh, that actually won best rock song of the year. And here's the thing. In a day and age when everything is like uber synthesized and overproduced, one thing that you have to appreciate about the Foo Fighters is this. Here's the deal. Their latest Grammy studded album, Wasting Light, was actually recorded, check this out, on analog equipment inside of a garage. Not some like high-tech, blinged-out L.A. studio. In fact, maybe some of you saw the Grammys a couple weeks ago and you saw you know, the former Nirvana drummer and now lead singer for Foo Fighters, David Grohl, as he accepted the award, the Grammy, for Best Rock Performance. This is what he said. It was in the New York Times. We made this one in my garage with some microphones, and I don't even understand what this is, a tape machine? You guys know what I'm talking about there? A tape machine. He continues, it shows the human element of making music is what's most important. You know something? He's absolutely spot on. It is always the human element of any song or work of art that draws us in. It's, it's the secret sauce. It's what all of us can relate to, and it draws us closer to the work. And you know something? There are few human elements, few stories in life that are more compelling than the idea of a second chance. In other words, this idea, this truth of of failing miserably at something. Let's call it maybe a relationship, okay? Failing miserably at it, but then getting back up again for that second, third, sometimes fourth time or more. We can all relate. And it's that kind of brutal honesty that you hear jumping out of their lyrics. Uh, Listen to it one more time. I think I lost my way. Getting good at starting over. I'm learning to walk again. I believe I've waited long enough. Where do I begin? I'm learning to talk again. Can't you see I've waited long enough? Where do I begin? Just thank the Lord that I didn't sing that for you, okay? Last week, you know, Pastor Tim, along with some help from CeeLo, actually walked us through a passage of Hosea where both God and his faithful prophet were like, forget you. Forget you to this two-timing harlot of a wife named Gomer. In fact, maybe you actually remember this little ditty that comes straight from the scriptures. It says this, she will chase after her lovers. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after other lovers, but me, 
Me she forgot, declares the Lord. Uh, modern translation, forget you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's what's happening here. Yet somehow Hosea went from this sort of forget you mentality to an entirely different I forgive you place of heart. And you know something? That in and of itself is absolutely amazing. But here's the thing. What if I'm Gomer? What if I'm the one who actually needs the forgiving? Not not the one who forgives, but what if I'm the one who needs the second chance? What if I'm the person who messed up so royally, not just once or twice or three times, but a 47th, a 48th time? What if I'm the person that needs that second chance? I mean, you know what? I get that we all like to think that we play the role of God, or, or maybe even like his faithful servant, Hosea. But let's remember something, folks. We are the stand-in for Gomer in this story. We're the stand-in. And, and that makes sense, because more often than not, if you think about this, at least for me personally, I find myself in the position of Gomer more often than not. I find myself in the position of the one who needs the second chance, who needs to be forgiven, and not in the position of God, who's done nothing wrong, yet still forgives, right? Oh, I I get it. Some of you, you're sitting here today, you're like, no, well, that's you, Pastor Tom, but me, I'm I'm more holy. I'm a good person. I, I don't make mistakes. I want you to do me a favor right now. If you think you're that person, just turn to your turn to your spouse right now and ask them what they think, okay? A little awkward moment there, okay? So moving along, like Gomer, one of the reasons why I need that second chance over and over again is because I'm constantly chasing after second, third, fourth loves. I'm constantly chasing after these other loves. Uh, The word love there is actually a very, very tame word because scripture calls it something else. Scripture uses the word prostituting. I prostitute my heart for secondary, tertiary loves. I prostitute, I sell my soul to lesser gods, lesser loves. Uh, for instance, like, like I sell my soul to this illusion of security that I may find in money. Or, or I give myself over to the temporary fulfillment I find in sex. These are cheap imitations of the real eternal things of life. I mean, who could forget the book of Hosea? Remember, the book of Hosea is literally the story of a man who wooed and won a whore. Why? Yeah. Why did he do that? Because God was showing us from his perspective what it is like to be in an exclusive relationship with us. What it's like to be in a marriage, be married to us. So please, save your emails, okay? This is, no, 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 this is not scandalous. It's just scripture. It's just scripture. Wordsmith and brilliant mind C.S. Lewis put it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with the drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. (laughs) We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. That was Gomer's fatal flaw. And if we are honest, that is my fatal flaw and your fatal flaw as well. I can't stop. I know this is killing me, but no matter what, I just can't stop. You know, I I feel a little sheepish in actually sharing this, but those are actually my words from a journal entry of mine 15 years ago when I was struggling yet again with trying to quit smoking. Sounds silly, right? I, I, I know, like some of you can't even believe it. You're like, no way, you're a pastor. I wasn't 15 years ago, okay? <laughs> Maybe you have like a hard time picturing me, you know, addicted to smoking, right? And for others, you're like, yeah, that's about right. Uh, but, but like it or not, uh, wherever you are in that, the truth is for a good three years of my life, I smoked, I kid you not, two packs of Marlboro Reds a day. Yeah, when you do the math, that's 40 cigarettes in 24 hours. In fact, I I remember days waking up and the first thing I would need to do was to light up a cigarette. Between classes, light up. Before a meal, light up. After meals, light up. Study breaks, light up. All the time. It got to a point where I remember... I remember this so well. I remember not being able to put on my contact lenses because because the stench and stain of tobacco was always on my fingertips no matter how hard I washed. And my eyes would literally tear up. They would burn whenever my fingers came anywhere near my eyes. Why do you think I wear glasses? Okay? And all for what? All for what? (laughs) At first, it was just to look cool. It was just to sort of fit in with, with this crowd I wanted to fit in. But, but then, then it soon became something I just had to have. It, it just controlled my life. Every, my, my next thought was about when am I going to breathe next by, by inhaling this cigarette. It turned into a habit, a lifestyle for me, even though everyone knows how toxic and just horrible smoking is for you, right? It was the classic case of settling for something that you know you know it is less than best and truthfully will actually kill you in the long run. And here's the deal. That's exactly what is happening to Gomer here. See, God provided everything that this woman needed, all the basic elements, food, water, shelter, clothing, and yet it wasn't enough. She still wanted more and more and more, so she wound up sniffing around, right, like like, like that camel. And and at first, it it may have been just for a little bit. No harm done. No harm, no foul. But before she knew it, it turned into a habit, a lifestyle. And and the next thing you know, she's actually a prostitute, addicted to her other loves, addicted to all these small g gods. See, guys, our hearts are actually idol-making factories. We're all professionals at making idols. 
And Gomer passed from the hands of one man to the next, and then to the other, and then to the other, until finally she lost her way completely. Just like that song we just heard. A million miles away, your signal in the distance, I think, I think I've lost my way. Guys, that's the very cry of Gomer. She's lost. She's lost her way. How do I get back? And so how does she find her way home? Well, you know, as as Tim shared last week, Hosea actually wanted her back. Her husband actually wanted her back. Come back to me. And, And God was saying, come home, come home. But what's interesting is the road home led first through a desert. In fact, I want want to show this to you right now. Go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Hosea, chapter 2, found on page 627. And I want to show you this very short passage in the scripture that uh, that Pastor Tim actually intentionally left out last week because I asked him to. I said, no, 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 just save me these two. I want to share this. Why? Because this is a pivotal passage where until now, Gomer has been running and running and running and running so fast and so furious away from God. She is like a million miles away from God. And and maybe as you're turning there, maybe you're feeling like that today. Maybe you're feeling like you've lost your way. Maybe you feel like you're a million miles away from where you're actually supposed to be in life. Maybe you feel like you are a million miles away from God. I mean, I get it. I get it. You're you're here. You're in church. It's Sunday. You're watching online. You're listening to a podcast of of this message, this Christian message. And I get it. But I'm talking about on a heart level. I'm talking about on a heart, not, not like physically what you're doing right now, but I'm talking about on a heart, on a relational level, you actually feel, even though you may be sitting in church right now, you actually feel as though you are a million miles away from God. And somehow you've wound up here, and in the process, you've totally overextended yourself. You've hurt yourself. You've hurt others. And you sort of look around at your life and you just see all these different heaps, these different piles of pain all over the place. And and, 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 in in a more uh, moment of solitude, in a moment of sincerity, you really wonder, you ask yourself, how do I even get back up? Where do I begin? How am I going to learn to walk again? And the answer is, God shows us is actually found in the desert. This is amazing. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 14. This is what it says. Therefore, this is God speaking. Therefore, I am now going to, what's the word there? Allure. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the, let's read it one more, one, one, one last time. Desert. Therefore, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert. (laughs) Only the most lifeless, scorching, torturous, barren wasteland you could think of. God is saying that I'm going to allure her. I'm going to woo her into this wasteland. I'm going to lead her. This is not an accident. But I'm actually going to lead her into the wasteland, into the desert. And what's he going to do there? And I will speak tenderly to her. 
Guys, this does not make sense. It doesn't make, you can't just gloss over this. This, this is nonsense what we just read here. I mean, fellas, let, 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 me, let me put it to you this way, right? Valentine's Day just passed, right? I think I heard an amen there. Valentine's Day just passed, okay? I want to ask you guys out there, how many of you actually busted out these kind of moves on Valentine's Day? I mean, was this your romantic modus operandi, right? To allure, to, to woo your lady into the desert place? Was that your, was that your MO, huh? To, to actually allure her into the wasteland? I mean, I, mean I, I can just picture it, right? You're like, no, 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 no. Come on, baby girl. No, forget the fancy restaurants tonight. No, none of this Broadway show stuff. We could do that anytime. Only the best for you. Oh, I've got something, I've got something special tonight. Mm. Tonight I'm taking you somewhere special. I'm taking you to Secaucus. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, right? But that's what God is saying here. He's saying he's going to allure her into the desert. This harsh, grueling, sweltering wasteland. Some of you can't get over Secaucus. I apologize if you live there. I'm sorry, okay? He's going to allure her there and speak tenderly to her. And you know what? This is a dramatic shift in God's tone of voice. Because you know something? For the past two weeks... We saw, Tim has shared, how God has absolutely raged and vented in anger. Forget you! And forget you too! Right? That's all that God's been doing. But now, now he speaks tenderly to her. Now he tenderly says, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of, what's the word? Hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In other words, God is saying, I'm alluring her into the desert. And I, I, when, I, when I bring her there, I am going to speak tenderly to her because I want to win her heart back. I want to woo I want to sweep her off her feet. And by doing so, I'm going to nurse her back to a place where she can walk again. And you know something, this is really, I get really excited when I see things like this in Scripture because we just want to pause here for a second. I want to draw your attention to verse 15, to this place called the Valley of, what's the word there? Acre, right? You need to understand, if you're taking notes, write down acre equals trouble. Acre is the Hebrew word for trouble. And, and check this out. What's interesting is that the very first time the Bible ever mentions this place, the Valley of Acre, this Valley of Trouble, is actually way back in Joshua chapter 7 when God's people, the Israelites, suffered this like humiliating loss to like these puny, the smaller, this weaker people, right? They, they, it, was just, it was just amazing. And, and they suffered that loss because a guy named Achan, a guy named Achan actually stole treasures from a previous battle. In other words, God said to the Israelites, they were entering the promised land, and God said to them this. He's like, he's like guys, listen, you're my people, I'm your God, and uh, you don't have any strength in and of yourself. And, but because I'm all powerful, because I'm all good, because I'm all I'm actually going to give you victory, okay? You're going to go to these different places, you're going to go to these different cities, and I'm going to give you the victory. But here's the deal. Here's the deal, okay? 
You don't have to fortify your armies. You don't have to do all these drill techniques or anything like that. What I'm asking you to do, though, I'm going to give you this victory, but what I'm asking you to do is this. Do not touch their treasures. I will give you victory, but do not touch their gold. Do not touch their riches. Do not, don't, don't even think about taking their jewelry, okay? We got that? I will give you the victory, but I don't want you to take their booty. I don't want you to take their loot. I don't want you to take their treasures, okay? Everyone, yes, amen? Okay, let's go, okay? And they go in, and they have this victory, and everyone obeys. They, all right, everyone's happy. Oh, we won. Okay, praise God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. One guy, this guy Aiken, says, well, yeah, I just... You know, he's one guy, one of a million people. And so, oh, I, no one's really going to notice if I just take this necklace. No one's going to notice if I, so, so I just, you know, I'll just take some of these jewels. And, and so this guy, Aiken, he, he takes some jewelry and he goes back to his tent, okay? He goes back to his camp. And what does he do? He hides all the jewelry under his floor, unbeknownst to anyone else, except for god right and so that the next time they go into battle now against a much smaller army against a much weaker people what do you think happens they got obliterated they lost to this much smaller army in where in the valley of Achan. yeah It all took place in the Valley of Trouble. And now that area has been now known as the place where you suffer for your wrongdoings. So I I just want to pause here now and get this in your head. Now just think about this now. Are Are you guys catching this? Hundreds of years after all that with Achan and this valley of trouble, God is now wooing back this this, this prostitute of a wife right? He now woos her back full circle to that very place where historically it would have been lost on no one of the day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we back here? Oh man, this is a place of suffering. It would be the equivalent actually of like, almost like our ground zero. I mean, if you're there, you know what happened. You know, it it is not lost on you. And so just picture this, hundreds of years later, God brings Gomer back to ground zero. God brings Gomer back to this valley of trouble, a place of suffering. And what does God do? What does God do when he drags her back here? He transforms that place to a door of hope. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of trouble, the valley of acre, a door of hope. Folks, did you know that God, he sometimes deliberately leads you, draws you, woos you into the desert place, into the wilderness of life, the valley of trouble. He sometimes does that deliberately as your next step of growth, as, as the next place in your spiritual journey. See, sometimes the desert is a place where God teaches us to walk again. Sometimes the wilderness is actually the place where you find your door of hope. Some of you guys, 
You run away from that. You're like, no, 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 God. No, no, what, I don't want to go to the desert. No, 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 no. The, the, the slightest hint of a wasteland, and you close your eyes and you turn to that steering wheel somewhere else. No, 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 don't bring me there. Don't bring me to the wasteland. Don't bring me to the desert. And you're looking for this door of hope somewhere else, but it's, it's right there. It's right there in the valley of trouble. It's right there in the desert place. And some of you, right now, today, you know that you are in a desert. I mean, a lot of people are these days. That's, there's no shame there. For instance, maybe your desert is financial, right? You feel like everything's been stripped away over the last several months, over the last couple of years. Some of you, I've talked to you, you've, you've lost your homes. The, the business is all dried up. Or maybe for you, the, 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 the desert, the, the wilderness, the wasteland is relational. You feel like you're all by yourself. You, you feel like you're abandoned and, and just you're all alone. Maybe you're a parent and you have kids and you're constantly at each other's throats. You feel like there's blood everywhere and you just, you just relationally, you are in a wasteland. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe for those that's, uh, that you love, maybe your desert place is physical, Right? Like your health is just, it's just faltering. It's just, it's deteriorating right in front of you. And and illness has you in the desert place. And this is a tremendous time of pain and hurting. Listen to me, guys. If you're in the wilderness today, guess what? You are in some amazing company. Because the wilderness, the desert place, has historically always had significant meaning throughout the Bible. In fact, uh, like for the Israelites, the desert place, it marked a period in their history where they actually learned to have childlike faith in God. More specifically, in the desert is where the people of God literally learned how to walk step by step with their God. Uh, Exodus says it this way, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Why? So that they could travel, so that they could walk anytime, by day or night. You know, in addition, the desert was also where God's people learned, like a child, how to eat from the Father's hand. In the New Testament, the Apostle John puts it this way, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from where? From heaven. They were in the desert place, but they had food from heaven to eat. See, God's people literally learned how to walk and eat in the desert place. The desert is a place of transformation, a place where you actually learn how to walk again, a place where you are stripped down to your very basics. No distractions, no interruptions. And in that desert place, God painfully but lovingly cranks up the heat in ways that you have never experienced. One of my favorite Christian authors, Henry Nouwen, calls the desert place a furnace of transformation. Listen to this beautiful description. He says, here I get rid of my scaffolding. 
No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract. Just me, naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken. Nothing. He continues, the wisdom of the desert is that this confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. It forces you to surrender yourself unconditionally. Now I get it. I, 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 I understand. No one chooses to be placed in the wilderness, right? I mean... We're not talking about some like breathtaking Anzel Adams poster here, okay? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. This is the valley of trouble. And if God leads you to the valley of trouble, guess what? He cranks up the heat. I mean, you got to understand, in the Judean wilderness, the desert temperatures can scorch well over 120 degrees. I mean, life is simply not meant to survive, much less thrive in these kinds of conditions. The desert is a place where intense heat and grueling conditions are a normal way of life. It is a place where you sweat and sweat and sweat, a place where all the impurities are sort of drawn out. But guess what? God, God uses that heat. And maybe right now you're feeling this heat in your life and you feel like you are under the lamps and you, let's just be honest, you hate it. You hate it. This is not like a theological exercise here. You are in the heat and you hate this place of heat. And you are like, God, you know what, seriously? I mean, I can't stand this. I've been here way too long. I mean, get me out of this place. Or at the very least, God, at the very least, if you love me, if you hear me, if you're God, if you're all-powerful, at the very least, can't you just provide some relief? Can't you provide some sort of shade? I mean, can't you at least do that? Can't you turn down the temperature a little bit? But you know something? It's only with the intense heat that true transformation, true change takes place. Real change never happens in the cool of shade. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen. Real change does not take place in lukewarm conditions. No way. I mean, all of our internal walls and strongholds, they start, they start to melt. They start to burn away only under extreme heat. That's where our heart changes, inside of the white hot furnace. And I get it. We may, li- we, we may not like it, but God, he sure does use it. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen for real change in our lives to take place. Something beautiful and new from the furnace of this unbearable rising heat. (laughs) You know something? If you think about it, this is actually a spiritual principle we see reflected all around us in everyday life, in our physical world. We see this in everyday life. Heat creating something beautiful and new. 
You know, in, in fact, it's a principle that some students in Newark, New Jersey, are learning every day in some pretty amazing ways. Check this out. Fire burning at 2,000 degrees is dangerous, exciting, but these kids are learning to control the heat. Devin is a graduate of St. Benedict's Preparatory School in Newark. My mom introduced me to Glassroots. As soon as I walked through the door, they gave me a lesson and I hopped on the torch. From then, I just kind of loved it. Glassroots at 10 Bleecker Street, Newark, is the leading nonprofit hot shop for youth in the New York City region. Students learn glass art, glass safety, and the thrill of original design. When I make a piece of jewelry, that's one thing that I can say that no one else in the world has because it's something that was handmade by me. Since its founding in 2000, thousands of students aged 10 to 18 have studied techniques at Glassroots from bead making to glass blowing and kiln forming. Students like Dallaswan Morgan find a new creative path. You never know what you can do with the glass. I can do this for the rest of my life. Glassroots founder Pat Kettenring. They love the danger. They love the immediacy. You can take your first glass blowing lesson and you can come away with a gift for someone. Kate Hagney, a former competitive swimmer at the University of New Hampshire, is a full-time instructor. You have to learn the physics. You have to learn heat, keeping things on center, knowing when to add something or not add something. It's also about teamwork. It's like a sport in that way. It's all about communication and working together. Taking the heat and shaping it at Glassroots in Newark. Pretty cool stuff, right? Taking the heat and shaping it, or even more so, like God, taking the heat and shaping you. Because you know something? That's exactly what he does in the heat of the desert. He leads us to our door of hope. And though this may be your time of trouble, understand this. It is God's door of hope for you right now. A place where he recreates something beautiful from the heat of the desert. And I get it. I get that we don't like heat, okay? We don't like it when the heat gets turned up. And you know something? Gomer didn't like it either. I mean, I, I, can, I can just imagine, right? She, she probably wanted to go back to Hosea after all of her lovers kicked her out, right? I'm sure she wanted to, you know, bypass the wilderness. I'm sure she wanted to just get a direct line, a turbo route. But God led her out tenderly into this desert place so that he could take away all the distractions and lay her heart bare. I mean, what were the cracks in her heart that needed to be smashed, just crushed to pieces and thrown into the fire, into the furnace and melted and come out something new. I mean, that's what God does inside of that furnace. He was remaking this woman because that's how God remakes all of us. It's where we learn to walk again. You know, some of you may be in a desert place right now, today, and it's not by your own doing. I mean, I'm not going to su- stand here and suggest that, that God is punishing you. He, God actually doesn't need to take you into the desert to punish you. He's taken all the punishment he had reserved for you and given that to his son. That's Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. Now, sometimes, sometimes we actually make choices that lead us into a desert-like place where we suffer the, the consequences of our wrong and bad decisions, but it doesn't really matter how you got there. The question is this. Do you see your desert place as, as a place of punishment 
or a place of hope. Uh, This is where I'm being punished for for running away from him? Or, Or this is a place where I'm learning to walk again in a brand new way? You know, some of you, some of you may actually know my friends Josh and Jenny Johnston. You know, like me and Erica, they have three little munchkins of their own. They're down in Liquid Kids, and they have a good time down there. Uh, Josh and Jenny, they also, they actually lead a, a life group here in Motown. But here is where we kind of part ways. Here's where things get a little different uh, between me and the Johnstons. You see, Josh is an EOD tech, okay? That stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technician, okay? That's fancy talk for U.S. Army Bomb Squad, Okay? I deal with some of you, some of you are explosive, but this is different, okay? And, 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 and this is like so different, this is like, you, you seen the movie Hurt Locker, right? That was actually based on the life of Josh's boss, okay? And, and, so, and so let me tell you something, as I'm standing here, right, and I'm talking about God leading you into the wilderness, into the desert to recreate something new and beautiful from the furnace of the desert, <laughs> let me tell you something, for Josh and Jenny, That literally meant the deserts of Iraq and Las Vegas, okay? So, so folks, do not miss the beauty and truth. Do not miss the treasure God brought forth from their incredible desert experiences. I'm going to let them share their story with you. I'm, I'm an explosive ordnance disposal technician, which is the Army's bomb squad. So every day it was, you know, walking up and, and facing down death. It was taking apart roadside bombs while still having the threat of, of small arms fire. And in that, that time, I found myself looking for, for something more than what I had at that point. And quite honestly, I think it came from the need for some type of protection. So I would catch myself praying before I would leave the the forward operating bases, uh, praying before I'd leave my vehicle, not knowing what I was praying to, but it was something. Uh, Jenny's brother sent me a a Bible, started reading that, and started just hearing Jenny's side of what she was going through with with, uh, starting to develop a walk with the Lord. Dealing with all of the unknowns and how scary it was with Josh deployed, my whole family had been saved at this point, I had not, and um, kind of knew they were trying to, you know, get me to go to church, and my brother had given me a Bible for Christmas, and I was reading my Bible and just getting so fed up with everything, and I just remember throwing it against the wall and being so angry, and I remember breaking down in front of my family a couple times and just how this this wasn't going to work for me. God did, you know, pull me close to Him, and so it was actually in the desert place where I grew closest to Him. God was telling me that I needed him. I I talked to him every day. I talked to him multiple times a day. He made me realize in the desert that that he's what I needed. Coming out of the desert, the beautiful thing that happened to our family was I got, you know, a Christian husband come home, and we were able to go to church together, and I just remember the entire time I was in Vegas, that's all I ever wanted. We were able to create a Christian family. You know, we had, um, I gave birth to my son not too long after he came home, and then we, were, we later adopted um, Jack from Ethiopia. I, I was brought up in a, a racist home, and I personally held those same beliefs. Um, 
it, it wasn't uncommon for, for us to use any slur you could imagine, for any group you could imagine, just had distaste for them for any minority at that point. When I was in the desert, I, my, my heart was turning and it, it turned the, even even to the people who were trying to hurt me. I, I had a, a spirit of love towards them. I, I could understand where they were coming from. God just completely shaped my heart into one that saw no difference in skin or no difference in creed. Uh, and that eventually led to us adopting a child from Ethiopia and uh, five well, probably 10 years ago, there's no way you could have made me believe that, that I would have adopted a black child. I would have probably called you crazy. Without my desert experience, I don't think I would have been changed at all in this way. I was forced into a place where I needed God. I had nothing else at that point, and God was the only thing for me. It was those times that completely changed my heart, that showed me the orphan crisis that got us to adopt in the first place. So without any of those times, I would never be where I am today. To anybody who is suffering, it does get better and you're being changed for the better. So I would say to anyone in a desert place that they need to first give all of their issues to God, because he's the only one who can, can make beauty of the mess that is life. That is just incredible. Yeah, can we give them a big hand? Let's give my friends Josh and Jenny a big hand. That is just, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I mean, God turns up the heat to make something beautiful like that. I mean, did you hear, did you hear what Josh's last words were in that video? He, he said this, God's the only one who can make beauty of the mess that is life. Guys, I don't want you to miss the miracle here. See, before the desert, Josh and Jenny, they were two kids. They were in their early 20s. They were non-believers. They had no Christ in their life. Uh, they had this newborn five-week-old baby. They, they were parents, experienced parents of five weeks. And at that moment, God, for whatever reason, deployed one of them into the deserts of Iraq and so the other had to figure, okay, I got to go back home to my family. I need help with the, this kid. I, I'm going to go back to the deserts of Las Vegas. And in those two individual desert places, those literal desert places, God started to strip each of them down to their basics, strip them of each other, work on their hearts, started melting things prejudices and, and loves in their heart, simultaneously working on both of their hearts, drawing them closer to himself and also to one another. So that by the time they reunited 15 months later, when they reunited, they were two totally different people. They were new creations in Christ. More specifically, out of their specific desert experiences, they emerged followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. They didn't believe in Jesus before. Now they did. Out of their desert experience, now they have this new Christian marriage and this new Christian family. And, and did you hear how Josh's heart, it transformed from someone with this heart of racism, as he said, racism. It, it, God transformed that heart to, to, to a place where by the time he was reunited with his wife, she had this newfound heart 
for adoption. And he brought those two together. That is an amazing thing. Something beautiful and incredibly new from the heat of the desert. Guys, our God specializes in these kinds of things. Amen? So guys, will you trust him to do that in your life as well? Will you allow God to teach you to walk again in your desert place? Here's what I'm going to do. I want all of our campus, let's just, let's stand right now. Let's everyone stand. Join me in standing. And we're going to pray. And let's ask God to give us the faith and the eyes to see that he is with us even in, uh, no, he is with us especially in the desert place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, I don't know where we all are individually, uh, corporately in our families. Uh, Some of us are in a place of oasis. Uh, Some of us are in a pit stop. Others Others of us are in a desert place. One thing I do know is that if we're not in the desert place now, we will be one day. God, I just, I I want to thank you, first of all, that you are a God who loves us and you are a God who would care enough to woo us to that place and that you would teach us to walk again, that you would teach us to eat from your hand as the Israelites did. Lord, I thank you that even though we kick and scream and even though that we, at the first sight of a desert we want to run the opposite way, I want to thank you that you are a God who can create a door of hope in that very desert. Some of us right now, today, we need to see that door of hope. And I pray that you would open it for them right now if they are in the desert place. God, thank you so much. Thank you for what you've done in the Johnston's life. That is something that you want to do in all of our lives in your own unique way, wherever we are in life. And we just want to thank you for that. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.